Hello there, hot toddies. It's Chappie, your British butler. It's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. It's episode 112. 112. And this is the last episode that we will be hosting at Old Chappie Towers. Willow Chappie Towers, as we'll call it from now on. We're moving, we're downsizing uh, the whole Chappie Towers operation. And uh, I'll probably be broadcasting from a uh, padded closet moving forward. So yes, there'll be a padded closet moving forward. And uh, lots of sweaters, lots of turtlenecks, lots of uh, marine blue and navy blue sweaters. Just protecting this wondrous sound that we like to call Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. So it's a sad day. It's a momentous day. We only have one podcast uh, this week. Uh, We're going to do a banger edition. We're going to put our heart and soul. We're going to put the heart, soul, and the fatty liver into the whole podcast today. And uh, it's going to be a marvelous affair. So back to normal next week with two uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheeses, plural. Uh, Lots of cauliflower, lots of cheese coming your way next week. But today, in the height of August, towards the end of the summer, late summer, it's almost like uh, being put into a retirement home, downsizing and put into a retirement home. Although I'm not retiring quite yet. I know many of you out there will probably say, Chappie, it's time to hang up your top hat, hang up that shirt, hang up the uh, tails, hang up the morning suit, hang up those buff shoes with the tassels, and say au revoir. Well, it's an au revoir, not a goodbye, because uh, we'll be coming again next week. But sadly, it is... An au revoir to my good friend, my loyal friend, producer, jockey, Lord Jockey, the Rat Terrier. Now, uh, Jack has had many issues over the years. I mean, he very sadly went from adopted home to adopted home when I lived in New Mexico. I think he'd been to six adopted homes and finally he arrived at our house when he was six years old. Uh, a terrified little creature, uh, seizures. Uh, I mean, it was a it was a mess a lot of the time, and uh, never really was potty trained. Let's be honest. So, uh, lots of white gloves discarded uh, whilst looking after my old friend. And he is a good loyal friend. Now he's a good guard dog. He probably hated everybody else, other maybe than three or four people. Um, but he has been a great companion over the years, especially during the pandemic. A lot of changes. Uh, in your dear host's uh, life over the course of the last uh, year or so, and he has been a constant companion. And then his good friend and cohort, Lizzie the Corgi Chihuahua, uh, died last year. And uh, he had to introduce himself to Maggie the Corgi, the frisky Corgi, around an old man who uh, who probably sort of gave it the ghost. Other than eating, and uh, he like, likes eating uh, human food, um, and dog food, but he's become pretty trim recently. But the poor old boy has uh, reached the end of the line, and tomorrow, sadly, uh, I will have to uh, send him on his way um, on the stairway to heaven, where he'll be playing around with his old cohorts of Eddie the Border Collie and uh, and Lizzie as well. So it's it's sort of a, a sad but a celebratory uh, podcast of. The end of Chappie Towers, um, the, you know, the large Chappie ha- Towers with three and a half turrets, uh, one turret sort of uh, crumbling, 
but you know that's where I like to do the podcast in the crow's nest in the butler's nook as we like to call it on this old desk that has been signed by many butler wizards and podcasting wizards over the years um, many of my uh, mentors is almost like uh, Gandalf signed this and I'm the Harry Potter to the Gandalf of the people who sat before this desk over the years many of them using it as an old-fashioned ironing board there's burnt marks in here from old-fashioned irons from the 1930s and 40s and uh, it truly truly is an antique wonder that's falling apart uh, held together with a couple of nails but that's where I, uh, I do the podcast from it's not a it's not an antiques at a Hemingway desk or anything along those lines it's a little bit of a ramshackle affair, just like this podcast. But you know, Jackie, the guard dog, the old boy, the companion, the rat. You've been a wonder all these years and a great companion. Lots of love to you, Producer Jack. So, all good things come to an end, but uh, a fresh, bright chapter is ahead of us. And that's the way I, uh, I try to look at life and look at this podcast as being... The essence of joy, hope, and uh, a good belly laugh and chuckle along the way. Um, but this week on the podcast, on this bumper edition, this this uh, final Chappie Towers edition um, of the old Chappie Towers, not the final edition of the podcast. I know that I know. As I said, there's a deep breath out there. Oh my gosh, where's he going? Is he taking to Broadway? I wonder. No, but today on the podcast, we have the double bubble curry. Um, something I saw that was a little bit of a, a tagline uh, that uh, did make me laugh and wonder what they were selling. Um, this week we have some great music on the Chappie Musical Emporium edition, the Butler edition Emporium. Um, we have a new new songs from Holly, Holly Humberstone. Um, we do have some old classics. We have some ELO, Don't Call Me Baby, Love Is You, Carol Williams. So lots and lots uh, coming away on the musical emporium edition of the playlist and one of the uh, one of the things that it was quite interesting so i took an uber you know pe- people think normally you have to take the horse and carriage or whatever well he's british you must have square wheels but no i didn't i took an uber and met a delightful uh, young lady uh, who told me about a band that she has with her boyfriend andy babb and laura l like elevated folk indie uh, music, a delightful listen. But we'll have, be having one of their tracks on the uh, on the musical emporium. If you like a little jig, if you like to dance, and the Spotify playlist uh, version of the show of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese is the place for you. And some of the other things that we may or may not be talking about, but as I always say on this podcast, we not nothing's carved into stone. There's no Moses tablets with the playlist carved into stone here. Uh, also, I prayed to the rubbish gods this week. Also, the spicy uh, pickled mix that uh, may have a double use. The uh, cidery, vinegary, appley drink that may have a double use as well. Um, why you should be promoting your podcast on LinkedIn, I uh, think not. Um, also, the uh, the love of uh, nudists and their little John's ruining Sherwood Forest. A milkman was arrested after being mistaken for an early morning burglar. Oh, just trying to give her the gold top, governor. 
you know, it's like like Ernie the fastest milkman in the West who's going around the neighbourhood uh, giving his gold top to uh, all of the housewives. Anyway, the uh, Duchess's pictures among 50 portraits of Holocaust survivors at the Imperial War Museum. Would you pay £87 for Tom Kerridge's steak and chips? That's a big question as well. Uh, 500 euro muddy wine helps Germany's flooded vineyards clean up. Uh, also, the uh, Prince William used to call the Queen Gary when he was a kid, according to uh, according to Romper. Wanted hermits to pretend they are in Mars for a year. And uh, also, <laughs> so I mean, I tell you what, I'm a, I'm sort of a hermified butler. So, you know, I could pretend to be on Mars for a year. Uh, also, the uh, um, the Association of Yorkshire Puddings of America. Uh, a reuniting and uh, and the, with a quest to make the perfect Yorkshire pudding. So the perfect Yorkshire pudding. Explorer finds naughty boys room and bottle of HP sauce and abandoned brothel. I tell you, we're full of full of the joys of spring here on uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. And also um, Dana Mercer uh, warns how influencers edit bikini snaps. Now, I always like to edit out my Victorian bathing suit. And, uh, and and replace it with a thong bikini. I think it's more becoming of me. I think that's uh, what everybody wants to see. A slightly rotund, uh, slightly um, uh, slightly large fellow uh, with a thong bikini on. I mean, hair everywhere. The, the most hessute bikini that you'll ever see. And that's what I try to do as my uh, approach of being an Instagram influencer. We have some Trump or trombone. We have an enigmatic English eccentric prime minister. And that is the, uh, that's the show. That's the drum roll for the show today, peeps. But today, we're celebrating one last time in the butler's nook with producer Jackie. And uh, we're going to be enjoying the show, giving you much eccentricity and wholesome innuendo. That's definitely a contradiction in terms. A little bit of Colorado local news here. Amongst the smoke, amongst the ozone, amongst the red burning blood orange sun, it continues its tradition of racing us alongside bureaus. Bureaus. Is it bureaus? Bureaus? It's like, it's like uh, hello, my name is Inspector Clissé. I would like to read a bureau. Was it Burroughs? Burrow racing was designated as Colorado's summer heritage sport. I mean, it's almost like the Kentucky Derby, I guess, a decade ago. Uh, but only a select few can really call themselves participants. In Leadville, Colorado, a quarter of the starting line in a Colorado mountain town during the summer months means tennis shoes and hooves tromping over each other. So I hope that's not uh, Beelzebub with his uh, cloven hoof tromping along. They're ready to race side by side. Bureau racing isn't for the faint of heart. It not only demands physical prowess, but also the mental stammer to deal, to deal with a donkey. Oh, I'm like a proverbial donkey. Okay, donkey. Um, and the donkey can be a little bit stubborn at times. I mean, this is the perfect story for my producer, Jack. The most stubborn uh, donkey, and he can also be an ass as well. Oh, an ass, sorry. You have to be a, you have to have a relationship with it, a relationship with the donkey. You have to start training. You have to build a camaraderie with the ass, with these guys, so they are trusting you. The uh, WPBA, uh, which stands to the uh, Brad Wan with the Western Pack Bureau Association, seeks to continue a great sport began by Colorado's 19th century miners. 
Back then, burrows or small donkeys were used to carry a miner's tools and supplies so the miner could walk alongside it. According to the WPBA, legend has it that two miners found gold in the same location and raced each other back to town. Now, my idea of finding gold uh, would be, uh, you know, some Cornish pasties found down a mine that was still warm. That's my idea of gold. And that's what they did in the UK. The uh, wives or partners of the miners used to make the Cornish pasties so they could warm their hands when they go down the coal mine. But I don't think that was in uh, Colorado. Burrow racing became more of an official sport as a way to save dwindling mine towns. Here in the great state of Colorado, some of these towns were turned into ghost towns pretty quickly. Burrow racing came along as a way of finding uh, for tourists uh, to come back and see the heritage of the town and what the town has always meant. Races have taken a place around the state since the late 1940s, but one estimates fewer than a thousand people have ever participated over the course of the sport's 73-year history. There's a lot more to it than being a good runner. The race Rocky Mountain PBS was able to witness with the last leg of the sport's triple crown, the Leadville Boom Day Pack Bureau Race, consisting of a long course of 21 miles. I mean, 21 miles in this smoke and heat, I would need uh, probably a gin and tonic and a Cornish pasty, I think, and a short course of 50 miles. The long course submitted Mosquito Pass. Uh, make sure you uh, rub some cider vinegar into your legs and on your neck to keep the mosquitoes away. The short course looped around the Ball Mountain. So both paths uh, involve lots of inclines, which one explains needs special attention. Uh, we call the burrow escalator. We run behind our burrows on the uphills and we drive them up and then we run around uh, behind the animal and the animal will pull us up the mountain. So it takes the weight off us and burrow does all the work. Uh, getting the burrow to do the work is the trick. And much like a toddler who has recently learned the power of the word no, racers need lots of time spent with the burrow in order to get them to listen. We are basically the GPS, explains one. Burrow turn left at the canyon. Burrow continue walking straight up the three-day. We make the burrow think that it's idea. We guide them around the course and then we turn left. So you have to get the stubborn donkey to think that it's their idea. Belt buckles and a sense of pride were given out to anybody who finished the level race by 5 p.m. Uh, this last Sunday. It's truly one of the most uh, Colorado things you can do, especially since it was officially designated the Colorado Summer Heritage Board of 2012. It's going to test your critter. It's going, you can imagine um, the crocodile hunter. It's going to test your critter, mate. It's going to test everything. The donkeys can handle it for sure. But they're being legged up. Uh, they're, they're being trained. It's the humans I always worry about. It's remarkable to know that in a small club of folks, you've been able to negotiate and broker a deal with a burrow. How do you broker a deal with a burrow? Do you give them the best hay, the best hay out there in Colorado to sort of uh, con the burrow and blackmail the burrow into doing exactly what you want? There are four races left in the year, three of them in Colorado. The burrow racing season runs from May to September. That's a song in itself. I remember going up the, uh, to the Acropolis in Rhodes, one of the Greek islands, and I was very reluctant to get on the back of a donkey, but the donkey was very reluctant to carry me up the steep slope to the Acropolis in 120 degree Fahrenheit heat. You know what, I wonder if when you're riding the uh, burrows, if at the same time as uh, going along this tough course, this tough, tough obstacle, it was almost this... Herculean Athenian effort, like the like the ancient gladiators used to in the Greece and Rome. I wonder if you could have a churro whilst riding the bureau.
So I think Jack the Rat Terrier buries himself under the sheets whilst the podcast is on. So he's been witness to 112 of these uh, nonsense-filled affairs, but he buries under with the uh, blanket round his head, probably trying to block out the sound in. But a piece of luck occurred in the week. So I know a lot of people have been ordering uh, Uber Eats, Grubhub, um, Deliveroo, all of these different sites across the world where you can get food delivered. So really felt like a Ruby Murray. It felt like Ruby on Sunday night. Ruby Murray Curry in Cockney rhyming slang. And uh, it really felt like that. And I thought, well, mm, samosas, butter chicken, naan bread, mm, maybe a bit of the Chinese fried rice as well. Though. The Hyderabad house here does a wonder, a wonderful job um, putting together. So looking forward to it arriving. And uh, when it arrived, knock on the door, food left outside. I was delivered the wrong curry. So I wanted butter chicken. I was delivered some uh, goat vindaloo, uh, full with bones. I mean, I felt like I had part of the goat's rib cage in there. Um, and, you know, garlic naan. I don't mind a little bit of garlic naan. And then uh, it was goat uh, biryani as well. Now, don't mind a bit of goat, uh, but the bones do put Chappy off. His uh, Chappy off his nosh. Um, so, called them up. Uh, called up uh, Uber Eats or whatever it was. Uh, Deliveroo, grab up. And uh, anyway, they, they said, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. So sorry, sir. So sorry. Uh, they, they messed up the order. And then I got a call from the restaurant saying, oh, your order's still here. And the samosas are getting cold. Man, smell the horses and bring it over here right now. So they, they very kindly, wonderful champs, brought over the food, tipped them. And then uh, the uh, food delivery service knocked the charge off completely. So it was a double bubble. It was a double bubble curry day where I got some goat curry and some butter chicken and all the extras. The samosas were still piping hot. Thank you, chaps. Um, it was a, a little bit of luck there. So, you know, um, reading tea leaves, crossing your palms with silver, sniffing lavender, uh, rabbit's foots, all of, the, all of the good luck here. But a double bubble curry has to be the very best. Allegedly, nudists and their little johns are ruining Sherwood Forest. Walkers in the forest that were home for Robin Hood and Merry Men have complained about the area being spoiled by male nudists. The RSPB, um, I mean, you wonder if that's the sort of acronym for uh, maybe a euphemism or something. And Nottinghamshire County Council were asked to clamp down on a large group. I mean, you don't want them to clamp down too hard. I mean, that could uh, turn one of them into a yonic. Um, large groups of naked men who are running amok in the historic woodland of Sherwood Forest. The forest is popular with day trippers and walkers and home to the legend of Robin Hood. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, riding through the glen. Robin Hood, Robin Hood, with his merry men. So he's robbing the rich to give to the poor. It's also well known for the Major Oak. Now, Major Oak isn't like somebody with uh, a, an appendage the size of an oak. No. It's a thousand-year girthy oak tree, thought to be one of the oldest in the country. In recent weeks, there's been a growing concern about nudists. One report of a man hiding in the bushes. <laughs> a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, old chap. And exposing himself to a lone female cyclist. I think I would have got it and put it through the spokes. The woman's husband said online that he believed the incident was linked to the nudists walk around the forest in groups of up to 12. 
The RSPB states that naturism is discouraged in the area, but says that it may be tolerated provided certain behaviours are adhered to. Like, don't expose yourself to people unnecessarily. I mean, that could give somebody a heart attack. You're walking, you know, you're, you're on a penny farthing, cycling through Sherwood Forest, you know, and a, and a rather sort of rotund, uh, large man with a small winkle pops out behind from behind the tree. I mean, it could give you a heart attack. However, the woman's husband said the nudists were seen regularly in Sherwood Forest. Every day in good weather, nudists can be seen. The police state is an offence that we find it offensive, which we do. There's a nudist retreat nearby and they can use it away from the public, instead discouraging the minority. The RSPB, now that's not the protection of birds, or is it for the protection of nudists, has stated that nudists are welcome so long that they wear clothes when leaving and returning to their cars. He claims that scores of naked people are wandering around from the secluded Budby South Forest to the busy tourist areas. I mean, they should really charge them more money if they look absolutely awful naked. He claims that scores of naked people are wandering around and he says there's, uh, there's no need to walk about naked. Clothes do not stop you enjoying the forest. An RSPB spokesman said it's asked for considerate behaviour from everybody. The naturists have enjoyed quieter areas in Bubby Forest for decades and their presence is tolerated. The RSPB does not tolerate sexual abuse of intimidating behaviour of any kind. Naturism is appropriate in circumstances and legal and we are not therefore in a position to ban naturists. We would encourage that anybody feels harassed and alarmed, distressed, uh, to uh, call the police and to report these uh, pests immediately. I mean, to be honest, look at what they did in the Bible, and Adam and Eve, they had a fig leaf. Why not, if, you know, if there's somebody who's cycling past, or somebody's not part of the group, is fully clothed, get a rather large or small fig leaf, depending on, um, depending on your size and stature, and, uh, and that would be the solution. And then everybody's happy. The fig leaf is cut, covering the altogether, and, uh, and the people go cycling and walking along their way without seeing some fat man with his small crown jewel collection. So when one's packing up one's, uh, one's house, when one's packing up the towers, you're getting a lot of excess rubbish. I mean, I've collected so much over the years. I'm a terrible hoarder, and uh, so much has been... Uh, festooned down in the basement and so I've got so many different uh, rubbish bags here. So after last week's rather lucky lottery um, the rubbish men here, the trash boys, uh, took away many many bags, maybe 10 or 12 bags. So I was thinking I was going to try the same thing again this week but I think I was going to maybe instead do 15 bags. So I tried 15 bags of rubbish, and then on the top of the rubbish bin, top of the trash can, I, uh, I did put a rancid bag of melting food from the freezer. Now, you know, it wasn't so bad probably on the Monday morning, but come the following Monday morning, seven days later, I mean, you'd, cop you'd probably have to barricade the whole area, put yellow tape around as um, some sort of industrial hazard. So you're sort of crossing one's fingers and hoping and praying they're going to take so many more bags than they should be. And once again, struck the lottery, they took the bags, and, uh, and no, nothing festooned. I mean, I did have the situation where five bags broke, letting all sorts of toys and dirt all over the floor, which I had to pick up by hand in 90 degree heat on Sunday. 
So I was hoping that the same fate wasn't going to uh, make the uh, rubbish guys come a cropper. But no, they took it all away. So that was fantastic. But once again, more trash develops as, you, as you're picking stuff up over, over the course of time. And uh, somebody has one of these roll-offs, one of these huge skips in the neighborhood. And I was sort of thinking, you know, more like the cheeky chappy here. I was thinking, you know what? I wonder if I, you know, went along at dusk or the dead of night, if I could uh, pop a couple of these bags at the top of the skip, a couple of the roll-off without anybody seeing me. So I trundled along like a thief in the night. And uh, almost like an Olympic sport, like a lasso going around my head. I, I, I you know, rolled and circled the, uh, the trash bag around my head in celebration. And luckily, in one piece, it went onto the roll-off right at the top. Other people have been doing the same thing. I feel very bad about this. My, my conscience is going to be pricked forever for doing this. But, uh, but more of the chappy trash at the top of the skip. And uh, it's saving me from a rather stinky, rancid situation going on in my own house. I know, I'm a terrible old, old chap here. Um, but uh, you know what? They better come and pick it up soon. Because uh, that's going to cause all sorts of dirt and umskar. And a milkman was arrested after being mistaken for early morning burglar. The sight of a milkman doing his rounds at dawn is a scene of a quiet continuity. Except it seems that the officers of the Durham Police in the UK mistook one of the burglars because he's driving around so early in the morning. The unnamed driver at Atcliffe Dairies in Newton Atcliffe, County Durham, had been carrying out his early duties on Wednesday. When he spotted police gathered outside the local shop, he became alarmed when they noticed the officers following the van he was using for his deliveries. After being pulled over for questioning, the driver was allowed to continue on his round, only to be arrested again while stopping for a coffee a quarter of an hour later. Three police cars descended on the scene and ordered him out of the van, and he was still carrying the milk. Police later said they had suspected the driver committing a burglar at the shop. The driver's manager, Russ Gibson, said the ordeal was crazy. The driver said the police were following him and pulled him over. He explained he was delivering milk, but he kept asking what he was doing early in the morning. He opened the, opened the back door and showed him his gold top. There'd been a break-in at the Greenfield shop and he matched the description. So the next thing uh, happened, he, he, they took him to the police station. They had a tracker on the van, so he was picked up and there was a cop car guard, guarding it. Police were called at 2.30 the reports of an attempted burglary at the Newton A. Cliff store. After refusing to provide his details, the driver of the van was arrested on suspicion of burglary and obstructing the uh, police officer. He's since been interviewed and released without charge. So, <laughs> it does remind me of the, the whole Ernie situation, the fastest milkman in the West. I mean, if, if the police officer had been that auspicious with Ernie going around uh, with his shenanigans, he listened to some of the lyrics here. Now Ernie loved a widow, a lady named Sue. She lived alone at Lidley Lane at number 22. They said he was too good for him. She was haughty, proud and chic. But Ernie got his cocoa there three times every week. She said he had to bathe in milk. All right, sweetheart. Then he'd finished work one night. He loaded up his cart. He said, do you want it pasteurized? Because pasteurized is best. Ernie, I'll be happy if it comes up to my chest. So lots of clunky gear changes on the podcast always. But... Just wanted to reflect, um, just reading some P. 
pieces on on Twitter. People recently lost their dogs and uh, said uh, it's coming to Jack's end of end of his life. Um, and people say, so why are you so upset? It's just a dog, and it always makes me think of this poem, which is called Just a Dog. From time to time, people tell me, lighten up, it's just a dog. Or, that's a lot of money for just a dog. They don't understand the distance travelled, the time spent, or the costs involved for just a dog. Some of my proudest moments have come about with just a dog. Many hours have passed with my only company was just a dog. But I did not feel slighted. Some of my saddest moments have been brought about by just a dog. And in those days of darkness, the gentle touch of just a dog gave me comfort and reason to overcome the day. If you too think it's just a dog, then you probably understand. Phrases like, just a friend, just a sunrise, or just a promise. Just a dog brings into my life the very essence of friendship, trust, and pure unbridled joy. Just a dog brings out the compassion and patience that make me a better person. Because of just a dog, I'll rise early, take long walks, and look longingly into the future. So for me, and folks like me, it's not just a dog, but the embodiment of all the hopes and dreams of the future, the fond memories of the past, and the pure joy of the moment. Just a dog brings out what's good in me and diverts my thoughts, away from myself and the worries of the day. I hope that someday they can understand that it's not just a dog, but the thing that gives me humanity and keeps me from being just a man or just a woman. So the next time you hear the phrase, just a dog, just smile, because they just don't understand. So I was reading one of the uh, very fun named companies ever, the super fit cult of Sweaty Betty. There are two ways, this is with Hillary Rose in the Times, there are two ways to approach working out. Option one is to wear old t-shirts and saggy leggings that make you look fat and feel depressed. Option two is to wear well-designed workout gear in fitted, flattering, breathable fabrics that makes you look good and feel motivated. Eva's fine, your call. But there's a reason why Sweaty Betty, I should have come up with the name of this company, has been sold to an American shoe manufacturer, Wolverine. And there's a reason that gyms up and down the country, people clocking up the logo on your leggings because there's only two worth wearing, Sweaty Betty and Lululemon. With a logo that looks like a ram's head is actually as stylized as you can see. And, uh, and have to concede makes a lot more sense. Both companies founded in 1998. Britain, uh, uh, Tamara Hills Norton, was bored with bland, shapeless sportswear and wanted to make it cool to sweat. I mean, I mean, I must be the coolest man in the world then. She opened her first sweaty Betty shop with her husband, Simon, in Notting Hill, West London, believing that some women were just put off by tough, aggressive, just-do-it philosophy of Nike. She suspected they wanted clothes that made them look good. A pair of 75 a pound power leggings is sold every 60 seconds for Sweaty Betty and counts the Duchess of Cambridge and Jennifer Aniston amongst its fans. Tamara and I started this business because we felt that a healthy lifestyle com- uh, coming that was not too preachy or too serious. Post-pandemic, Sweaty Betty's chief executive officer said that brand is ideally placed for customers who do yoga class in the morning and cycle to the office. That sounds just like me. Absolutely. Um... At the time, everybody wore their worst clothing at the gym. Yoga's about sweating. As the cotton got wet, it started to bind. On top of that, the instructor couldn't really align the body very, very well. And then Lululemon and Sweaty Betty leggings are worn by J-Lo, Kim Kardashian, Duchess of Sussex. And the pan- pandemic has been a boom time for athletic leisure wear, or athleisure, as it's, uh, as it's sometimes known. So more and more of us live and work in these clothes for more of the time. You know, I've got a, a pair of very uh, tight uh, Lycra 
on at the moment really focuses their mind during the podcast. So yes, you could wear a grotty old t-shirt to work out, you could go for a coffee or a meeting straight after wearing saggy leggings that make your bum uh, look like it reaches your knees. Or you could wear leggings that will lift your bum and uh, that will look just fine on Zoom. I don't show my bum off on Zoom. don't know what these chaps are doing, chapesses. I take a pair of sweaty Betty leggings that somehow make me look like I've never had a bacon butt in my life. But I do eat a lot of bacon buddies. Good on you, sister. So people have been saying in the week, you get all these podcast promoters who are making a, a, a penny off or maybe it's even snake oil salesmen are trying to make money off podcasts. But everybody was saying like in the week, I was reading on Instagram across uh, all sorts of different networks, that you should be promoting your podcast on LinkedIn. Now, I would never uh, skyrocket uh, this nonsense fest onto LinkedIn. I mean, I, I really wouldn't. I mean, I mean, people, my, my butler colleagues would be uh, head in the hands if, they, if I promoted it on LinkedIn. I mean, first of all, it's uh, whimsical, nonsense-ridden, uh, you know, buffoonery, basically. And I don't know if that has a place on LinkedIn. I mean, there's probably some podcasts that would do very, very well uh, business promotion on LinkedIn. But I think this sort of thing, I mean, this is more suited to Clubhouse or, or sort of more niche uh, niche areas as well. As I said, if you're burrow racing uh, or if you're rolling cheese down a road, now, where would you promote ro- you know, cheese rolling competitions or uh, having a bath and baked beans? Now, that's where I need to promote this podcast, without a doubt. So the AI elves have been very busy. The artificial elves who follow me, almost in a social dilemma fashion, uh, have been incredibly busy this week. So I get something that uh, basically says, why are porn ads saying to put apple cider vinegar on your... Um, The apple cider vinegar imagery is haunting. Folk remedies involving apple cider vinegar have been around forever. The thought of putting something from your cupboard could be magically grant you a a massive schlong is tantalizing. Could soaking one's penis in apple cider vinegar make it uh, more sizable? This is what the ad's saying. Wouldn't it burn? Um, Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, I mean, most people have the apple cider vinegar and water it down. I do a shot of it, uh, completely natural, darling, uh, unfiltered with the mother, and um, it does all sorts of wonders. But I'm not going to start soaking any other appendages in apple cider vinegar. You know, I'm certainly not going to, uh, not going to do that. Um, And... It made me think there's, there's, there's a special Chicago pickled mix called Jardinara. Uh, it's a spicy Chicago mix. And in the same, in the same fashion of dipping your in the apple cider vinegar, I was thinking that uh, Jardinara, uh, especially when it advertises mild Jardinara, sounds like something you may need an ointment for. So, oh, yes, I've got a touch of the Mar Jardinaras. Well, then, um, yeah, yeah, you need some some shot of ointment for that. Um, and then if you've got the spicy uh, Jardinara situation, uh, then there's probably no hope. You probably have to end up uh, probably putting the apple cider vinegar all over your body, uh, as well as in other regions. So we have more eccentric uh, British or English prime ministers. So uh, part of our collection of eccentric English, enigmatic English eccentrics, we have Gordon Brown, who ate four Kit Kats a day and then switched nine bananas. Few British prime ministers can beat Richard Nixon for odd food choices. The former U.S. president enjoyed cottage cheese and pineapple. 
normal enough so far, but covered in, covered in ketchup. Ugh. Meanwhile, it's probably be quite enjoyable to dine with Winston Churchill, who enjoyed the finer things like chocolate clairs and oysters. Tony Blair and Margaret Thatcher both cut carbs to lose weight, with Thatcher filling up on 28 eggs per week. It makes you probably egg bound. The current Prime Minister, or, or sorry, former Prime Minister David Cameron, seems to have no concern about his figure. He reportedly enjoys malt loaf, fried in hazelnut butter, dusted with a, a dash of sugar. But probably the strangest eating habits come from the Prime Minister who preceded Cameron, Gordon Brown. His route to the Premiership was rocky. He and Tony Blair fought over who was going to get the top job, and then Brown was a thorn in Blair's side until Blair finally handed over the reins in 2007, only for Britain to be plunged into a financial crisis that contributed considerably to Brown's failure to get re-elected. With headlines like, Fat Prime Minister Gordon Brown should lose weight, says diet experts, it's not surprising that Brown decided to try to get in shape after the 2010 election. To do this, he ditched his three or four a day Kit Kat habit and switched to eating colossal quantities of bananas, leading to a plethora of articles comparing the merits of the two. Northern accents will sound Southern in 50 years in the UK. So Northerners will pronounce words the same as Southerners within half a century experts have predicted. Scientists from the University of Cambridge in Portsmouth, uh, my old alma mater, built a model to determine the future of the English language in England and found that the southeastern pronunciation of words had been overtaking northern pronunciations for decades. Should it continue to do so, within 45 years, southeastern English pronunciations were dominant in the UK. Southern pronunciations will die out too, with the notable ah in the, in the sound of farm. Farm! expected to disappear and words such as strut which rhymes with foot in parts of northern england would also change not all differences will be lost the contrast between the pronunciation of bath and grass will continue instead of bath and grass uh, with a few distinctions between different accents as scientists believe the research into the pronunciation shift examined in the journal of physics complexity examined data from the 1950s study, the survey of English dialects, and compared it to a 2016 study of 50,000 English-speaking uh, carried out in the English dialect app. So James Burridge from the University of Portsmouth School of uh, Mathematics and Physics said, we found that comparing the two studies was a viable way of exploring language change in the 20th century. We built a physics model which accounted for people moving around their home, location, and sometimes going farther afield. For instance, for jobs or marriage, we accounted for how people learn the language. We ran the model with the correct population distributions and uh, migration patterns uh, and found the modeling could predict how the English language will evolve in coming years. In about 1900, almost everybody said Thoring pronounced Thorwing, and the majority of people now pronounce the word Thoring with the intrusive R, which sounds like Thoring. Our model predicts this change happened about 25 years ago. We found that words are changed because it's tricky to pronounce and children are more likely to pick up the easier pronunciation. The model predicts that the back end, uh, meaning uh, autumn in some northern dialects, will disappear within 20 years. Using fall for autumn has largely disappeared from the traditional region in the southwest it also dominates in north america oh i love autumnal we cannot get rid of autumnal this follows the decline of words to describe snail as dodman instead of hoddle dod hoddy dod hoddy doddy which faded from the english century over the last 20 years oh that's so shoddy hoddy doddy we will give me along to tom but
An urban explorer has found a naughty boy's room and a handful and a bottle of HP sauce inside an abandoned brothel that featured on a Channel 4 TV show. City Sauna in Sheffield was the location used for a very British brother, uh, as Yorkshire Live reports, but it's since been abandoned and now looks a bit worse for wear. Inside, Explorer found stained mattresses, used condoms, and a price list and pictures from the trip. The brothel had operated from the converted pub known as the city's Golden Sex Mile and included a massage parlour, but were moved to new premises as this venue was left gathering dust. So the Explorer found old condoms in the shower, stained mattresses, uh, but there was a very particular odour, which must have been lingering for years, sort of a mixture of urine and sweat. The images included a naughty boy's room as mundane items, including a shopping list and a supply of HP sauce. That's a tangy condiment. Oh, that condiment was tangy and oh so saucy. And memorial plaques are often emotional engravings found on benches and at other beauty spots. One Reddit user stumbled across a bench of a, a message from a family who clearly saw the funny side of life and paid for an amusing engravings to pay for their tribute to the family member. Uh, the post was shared on Reddit with the caption, I aspire to be like Nina when I'm old. So comment, uh, commentators in the post were equally as amused by the memorial. Many left with questions about Nina's relationship with a disgruntled fisherman. One wrote, what does she specifically dislike about that one fisherman? Now she's pissing off fishermen in heaven. The uh, unique memorial bench was posted just two months after another walk was left in stitches at the brutal plaque dedicated to somebody who wasn't actually dead. It's often easy to skim over completely ignore the inscriptions, but the walker was forced to do a double take and would look at the bench in Margate. It read, dedicated to Hayden Kays, forever missed by his friends and family. He's not dead yet, uh, but he's becoming increasingly antisocial. The picture was also posted on Reddit. One wrote, there was one in Brighton years ago that Gary Smith made his first... Uh, slightly rolled spliff here March 1995 uh, and another found chuckling at the message in memory of Hayden as one pointed out how ominous is that though I, I need my name on one of these plaques wherever you park your ass, that's your home and a sixth generation mortician works for the family business and speaks very uh, intimately and bluntly about his experience on a day-to-day basis. His main goal is to demystify death and shrine some light on the funeral industry with a mix of humor and helpful hints. His family's been in the death business since 1888 and started his blog about nine years ago. Jokes about uh, different seasonal embalming fluid flavors from Caleb Wilde. He's seriously a popular guy on Twitter with a very risque sense of humor. Uh, his book, Confessions of a Funeral Director, was published in 2017, reflecting on mortality and how his uh, general mental state changed as he settled into his role as funeral director. He also explained at one point he wanted to get as far away from the family business as possible until he discovered that caring for the deceased and their loved ones was really making a difference. He tells stories through humor and poignancy, which is pretty impressive for somebody who, as a child, used to play hide-and-seek uh, around the caskets. Creators Twitter to reach a younger, hipper audience and definitely succeeded with tongue-in-cheek humor, cheek uh, storytelling stories, funny death memes, and the invention of hashtag Hearst bombing. He also believes that the revealing of the life of the funeral director and giving an honest and raw commentary. Uh, hey, at Uber, let's do an Uber Sharon or an Uber Valhalla so those of us with dead body removal vehicles can make a ex- little extra. Hashtag death care taxi, hashtag Uber Deadpool, hashtag the real Uber Black. There's some crypt comedy from the catacombs. It's crypt comedy from the catacombs. The Undertaking the Mickey. He earns every client.
and a man awoke in the night to the sound of his toilet continuously flushing was less horrified after investigating the cause. The anonymous man who lives in the town of Brinefort near Austria's capital Vienna climbed out of bed and headed to the bathroom to discover the mystery flusher, only to discover an extremely unwelcome guest in his toilet. Lurking inside the loo, the terrified man found a ginormous six-foot-long snake that made itself more than comfortable and looked like something straight out of a horror movie. Well, that's not only a double flusher, but very much an unwelcome floater. So many of you are members of the Yorkshire Pudding Association of America, and um, we got a little note in from our chairman who suggested I should read this article. So thank you very much for that, Nicole. Um, So yearning for comfort amid the winter chill, Paul Ewart attempts to recreate his favourite British childhood dish, the humble Yorkshire pudding. This is one of the best articles I've seen. So Paul Ewart. Growing up as a child in the 80s Northern Britain, the idea of fine dining or food that didn't come out of a can or the freezer was pretty much alien to me. Largely left to my own devices, I could work the microwave from the age of five. I existed on a diet of boiler-in-the-bag curries, microwave pizzas, and Finder's crispy pancakes. When my mother did cook something from scratch, she rotated between fish fingers paired with iceberg lettuce, smothered in salad cream, corned beef hot pot, and then spaghetti bolognese. But also, the glimmer of sunshine was a weekly Sunday roast. Whether you ate one at home or in the local ga- country pub gathered around the fire with friends, when it comes to a quintessentially English food, there's nothing that comes close to a Sunday roast with all the trimmings. Tradition spans both generations and classes. But the star of the show, the hunk of meat, the crown and glory, was always the humble Yorkshire pudding. Light, crispy, fluffy on the outside, soft and chewy in the middle, and gorgeously golden brown in colour with these savoury pancake-like creations made from flour, eggs and milk. I can picture the weekly ritualised preparation, my young nose pressed against the oven window, watching the batter magically rise and darken as steam that rose from the saucepans containing carrots and broccoli filled the kitchen. Once ready, the puddings filled the brim with hot bisto, crowned with a mountain of meat and veg on the plate, apple crumble and custard followed, and then uh, in front of an episode of Antiques Roadshow, bliss, bliss, bliss. Yorkshire puddings were traditionally served as a starter with gravy to curb appetites before the more expensive meat was served. The first recipe for dripping pudding made its debut back in 1737. The whole duty of women is a classic example of Northern thrift and penny pinching by placing batter under the meat as it cooked. And while the dish is now forever interlinked with Yorkshire, it was Hannah Glass in Northumberland in 1747 who wrote about the art of cookery made plain and simple. So... Uh, Ewart talks about um, the, the sort of basics here. So the batter basics. All batters in Britain at least are made from the same ingredients. Flour, eggs and milk. Uh, a mixture of milk and water. Use self-rating flour, says Nelly. Pure milk rather than milk and water. As I think milk is best for the fat factor. I've never used water ever. When it comes to the number of eggs, you don't want the batter to be too quiche-like. So a litre of milk, I use two eggs to ensure the puddings are crispy. And then I add my salt and then the bitters, uh, batter is mixed. While not traditionally, Nelly also adds some star anise nutmeg in the mixture. Nutmeg also goes well with beef and horseradish, so I adore it. But the uh, tip, top tip is to make the batter the day before to let it rest. Finesse your fat. That's what I do on a daily basis. Uh, back in the origins of the pudding, it was made under meat roasted on the, a spit. Delicious dripping was the go-to. These days, varying oils are being touted as the best for the job. I use half beef fat and half vegetable oil. The beef fat is for flavour. 
but the uh, vegetable can be heated up quickly to use uh, on a high temperature without burning. I would personally use uh, either the dripping or the, uh, or the butter flavored shortening as well. And then handle the heat. The most common stumbling block when cooking Yorkshire puddings is the challenge of choosing the right temperature. I heat the trays with oil at 220 degrees Celsius and leave it in the oven for a good six minutes so it gets really hot. I then fill the mounds halfway with the batter and stick it back in the oven and cook for a further eight minutes before dropping the temperature to 180 or three or four more minutes. Just like a souffle, many people open the oven up too early. The rule is look through the glass but don't open it. If you open the oven, you risk deflating your Yorkie. And there you have it, top tips for the ultimate Yorkshire pudding. Thank you to the chairman of the American Association of Yorkshire Puddings. Thank you for listening to this uh, rather emotional uh, last chapter here at uh, Old Chappie Towers. Up in the butler's nook one last time. Uh, I'll be uh, in the closet next week uh, amongst the sweaters and the jumpers, maybe for some more jumper jenga. And it's been lovely and wonderful having uh, uh, Mr. Jack, Jack, the lad, Lord Jockey, uh, in my life for these last 10 years. Uh, he's been producing this show, basically, grunting and snorting and uh, a disdainful sniff or a disdainful growl or grunt, like a little piggy. Um, but so wonderful to have such a good companion in my life. Um, and over the last year, he's been a, a very good cuddler and a, and a very, very sweet boy. But he's now ready for his freedom. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. Um, as I said, it's been a bit of an emotional one. Uh, it's been lovely having you here. Uh, across all the platforms, you can listen to the audio version. Uh, but, you know, there's a little crack in the tower up to the butler's nook here. And uh, some days when I'm not broadcasting the podcast, I can listen there and hear the echo of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Um, something that uh, I know the dogs, Jack's been attentively listening. Uh, George often, the border collie, goes downstairs and Maggie's in her own room chewing up the bones. Uh, but uh, appreciate uh, having you here and listening to the uh, and listening to this rather whimsical uh, podcast. So you may be laying back on your hammock, sipping, sipping a nice cup of tea or maybe your favorite cocktail, enjoying the uh, late days of summer, the dog days of summer. Uh, but coming up next is the poem. So I'll be almost on my little barge floating away to the distance in my new location. And I see uh, my good friend Jack doing the same, floating away with his companions, uh, Lizzie and Eddie. Um, but they will not go quietly. They will not go quietly, the pets who shared our lives in subtle ways they let us know their spirit still survives. Old habits still can make us think we hear them at the door or step back when we drop a tasty morsel on the floor. Our feet still go around the place the food dish used to be and sometimes coming home at night we miss them terribly and although time may bring new friends and a new food dish to fill that one place in our hearts belongs to them and always will so this bonanza edition of the podcast is a little longer than normal um, but uh, this is the only edition we're going to have this week but i will return i shall return next week uh, with two new podcasts in a new location until then have a good week and uh, cheerio for now.